0: Welcome to Innovation Insights, the podcast where we explore innovation in all aspects of life. I am your host, Dr. Glenda Sanders, and today we are delighted to welcome Dr. Sarah Javlin Roberts. Dr. Javlin Roberts is an Associate Professor in Fashion, Merchandising, and Retail at Johnson & Wales University in Providence, Rhode Island. She earned her doctorate at Iowa State University in apparel merchandising and design with a concentration in fashion history. Sarah also earned an MFA in costume design from New York University, where she primarily worked with theater and dance. Her research agenda evolved from her creative practice of costume design, the focus of more than 20 years of professional experience in New York, Iowa, and Rhode Island. In addition to design, Sarah worked with the Broadway production of The Lion King, the original production of *Rent*, and the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, which was new to me to (laughs) learn. In academia, Sarah's interdisciplinary research agenda now includes the history of social psychological aspects of dress, costume design, and pedagogy. Today, we will discuss with Sarah her dissertation study which was entitled, Historical Accuracy in Contemporary Costume Design, a Qualitative Analysis of the Experiences of Broadway Costume Designers. Her study resulted in a theoretical framework and a grounded substantive theory about the process of design for historically set production. I am proud to say that I had the privilege to mentor Sarah as her major professor during her doctorals, and it was a joy. Sarah, welcome. How are you today? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. It's still tricky for me to call you Yolanda, and not Dr. Sanders. Please do. Please call me Yolanda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just thrilled to have you here with us today. You're dissertation and working with you on that was one of the highlights of my career. And so you know that as we were working on it, oftentimes I was starstruck by uh, the people that you interviewed. So would, would you give us a little bit of background on how you s- decided to select your topic? Sure. So uh, as you said, I have an MSA in costume design, which was the focus of my professional career before I decided that I wanted to teach full time. So I left New York to start a PhD program, but I wanted to keep two tracks open for myself. So I wanted to be able to um, possibly work in a theater program or teach in a fashion program. So I knew that I needed to pick a dissertation that would be interesting to hiring committees from both departments. And then as I got going... I realized that no one has studied costume design. So costume design is an art, right? So we get an MFA, which is the terminal degree, there's no PhD in most arts, right? So you can get a PhD in theater theory or theater history, but not in costume design, which means that nobody has really studied it. There have been a few studies from a fashion perspective a few studies from a theoretical perspective, but nobody has really dug into it from a practical perspective. And that sort of hole in the body of knowledge, I felt like personally offended. Yeah. What? <laughs> like that I could help fill that hole. So I mean, go <laughs> Well I'm glad you were offended because it turned out to be a fabulous dissertation topic. <laughs> oh. And so as we think about historical accuracy, that is such a challenge for productions. And so how did you think about studying that that topic? I've just always been interested in it. I, I remember the first time I did historical research for a show in college. And it just blew my mind that there were books out there on fashion history. That's crazy to me. And it was not something I was really surrounded with as a kid. So finding that was really inspirational and has stayed I have the book. I later I had found it at the, the library at my undergrad and later I bought it because it was so formative to me. History is just an integral and essential component of theater. The presentation of history. And that's actually something that like was the only thing all of my participants agreed on, which was that history is one of the major missions present. The presentation of history is a mission of theater. And to my mind, the question was then, okay, then what? And after however many years of designing costumes, I started wondering how much of history are we presenting and how much of history do we want to present? Do we want it to be accurate? Do we, what do we want? What is the, the goal? And so you read the title of my dissertation, but the basic gist of it was historical accuracy. Does it matter? And that's what I explored. I okay. did. So define a historical accuracy in costume design. So that was one of the... Outputs, right? The work products of my dissertation and and an operational definition of historical accuracy in costume design, because everybody has their own idea. And so the definition is a little complicated, but a historically accurate costume is one in which historically accurate articles are made using historically accurate materials and processes and assembled on a historically accurate body. Now, some of that is obvious, right? Obviously historically accurate. Costumes are made with historically accurate clothes. Great. But the historical accurate materials and processes, some of those are gone. We no longer have access. And some of it's great, right? We don't want dye made with arsenic anymore. That's like, oh, right. But. Some of those processes are just gone. And so that historical accuracy is actually impossible. And then the part that surprised me about that definition was the body, the historically accurate body, which is something I had never really thought of. But a lot of my participants made the point that art bodies look different than they did in the 60s, in the 20s, in the 70s, 20s, right? we are not mm-hmm. well nourished we have fluoride in our water our posture is totally different so the way we walk everything is different so to get historical accuracy you need those four components the articles the materials the processes and the body which is obviously a high bar yeah <laughs> it is it is and So how do costume designers deal with the body? That was really a fascinating part of the study to me. So the answer to historical accuracy doesn't matter was actually a resounding, it depends. (laughs) And it depends on a lot of things. And some of the things it depends on is who has been cast. who are the actors the performers who have been cast in the show so Mm -hmm. if the performers are all 25 year old gym goers with the broad shoulders and the tiny waist and the thick thighs then we're not going to get historical accuracy and maybe we shouldn't even try but if the actors who were cast with an eye towards historical accuracy then maybe we could make it maybe it could work Mm-hmm. So that is one. Some people that is one of the things to just consider. If the actors won't let it be accurate, then you can't force it. And let's see what else we can do to tell the story. And one thing we've talked about too is how the narrative sometimes takes precedence over the story. Star- I mean, star- not sometimes. So that's okay. the story I just mentioned. Yeah, that the, the <sighs> overwhelming consensus is that. The narrative is the most important. So the narratives or the story, as the designers referred to it, all of them mentioned telling the story. Mm. That is not just the text, right? So you have your text, sure. But the story is whatever the theater makers in collaboration with each other have agreed is the purpose Mm. of this production. So you have your text, but you also have your perspective that lays on top of it, which is why you have a thousand productions of Othello and they all use the same text, but say slightly different things because they've agreed that the story has changed based on what they're trying to promote. So Othello is a good example because obviously it was written in period and it does support historical accuracy. If that's the story you want to tell. But if that's not the story you want to tell, then you should not try historical accuracy. You have to go a different direction, because it will fight with the story, and that's that defeats the purpose of what we're doing. That makes sense. That makes sense. You also discussed in your study that there are production factors that influence the importance of historical accuracy being applicability, attainability, and performability. And I'm thinking about appearance, how the actor performs that. Yes. So those three factors, those three sort of umbrella categories of factors are imposed on the designer from without. So it includes, so applicability is how applicable would historical accuracy be to this production? And that involves things like the text. So you have Othello. It would be applicable. But then you have shows like Something Rotten, which is a musical comedy. Shakespeare is a character. So it's set in Shakespearean time. But it's very meta, very funny, very weak inside theater. So historical accuracy would be not only a waste, like really wrong. So in that case, the text does not support historical accuracy. And then the production concept, which is another way we tell the story. Sometimes we want historical accuracy. Sometimes we don't. So that's the applicability. Then, okay, great. So the text will support it and the production concept will support it. But do we, can we attain it? That's the attainability. So historical accuracy is expensive. What are our resources, right? Have the money. Do we have the labor? Do we have the time? And that is also where the actors come in. So do we have the performers who are cast who can help us achieve historical accuracy? Okay. So now we have yes. The answer is yes to all of those questions. But now the last factor is performability and that would be the director. So if the director or the choreographer has them square dancing or during somersaults, then it doesn't matter if the answer to everything else is yes. Historical accuracy won't work, right? Because you can't do somersaults in Pennier and corset. It's just not going to work. So you have those factors that we don't get really a vote in the production concept. Sometimes the costume designer, you can see that I sometimes say we instead of they because I do. This is still my community. So mm-hmm. sometimes we get to participate in the formulation of the production concept. But usually not. Usually these are all things that have been told to us and then design within it. We are given the text. We are given the budget. We are given the opening date so we know what we have to work within. So those are those production factors that help us formulate where we want to go before we even start. They're just given to us. <laughs> okay. And there's a lot of parameters um, that I feel a lot of people do not realize it's not um, it um, and it's heavy. So, people don't realize how heavy clothes are when you're carrying around clothes they're so heavy always think of the glamorous world of like apparel or fashion or costume because yes they are very heavy, uh, right Thanks. So. <laughs> for oh I'm, so how do custom designers approach this how do they go about the process so once we uh, have those parameters, those factors, this is when, so there are these strategies that came out of the study and there are four of them and they're iterative, which means that you keep going back to them, right? So it's not like bang, it's constantly circling back and back. So you start, the first thing is what I called incubation, which is basically thinking, right? Because it's a creative process and we've all tried to rush processes without giving it enough thinking time and it goes bad right you have to let it sit you have to think you have to consider so that is the first step and that leads to research it's probably not a surprise to know that a lot of the research we do in historically set productions is historical research but that's not the only research it's also stuff like this character reminds me of a rooster and this character reminds me of a snake going to assign animals to all the characters. Let me research those animals. And so you gather these databases of, oh, this is set in Milan in spring. What does Milan in spring look like? And you have all of these images that are just floating around. Some are historical, but some art. And then you think some more and then you research some more and you think some more. And then the next step is what we call role play. So There is a theory called symbolic interactionism that says that we make basically all of our choices based on what we think other people think. And that is what costume designers are doing. They are making choices based on what they think other people think. And the way to do that is to take the role of those people. So the first role that costume designers take is the character. If I were the character, what would I wear? We treat every character like a real person. Um, You'll hear designers talk about the closet, right? So what would be in their closet? Oh, I don't think that would be in their closet. Let's take a look at their closet because they're real people. Even if they're like dinosaurs, we still treat them like real people. So we take on their role. What would I wear if I was this character? And then we take on the role of that audience, which is tricky because we're not the audience, right? So we're guessing what we think the audience will think if they see this. If I present this on stage, what would they think? And it's all based on experience and educated guess and symbolic correctionism. And then we take on the role of the actor. If I showed this to the actor, what would they think? Some actors love a corset, some actors hate a corset, some actors want you to play with their hair, some don't want you to touch their hair at all. And so based on that, a lot of times we're working with actors we don't know, so we don't know that specifically, so we have to take a gamble based on what we think actors will think. And then we do the same thing with the director, because the directors, are they basically have the final say. The producers really have the final say, but the directors are the ones who approve. And so we have to think about what they're going to like. Is this something they're going to like? Is it going to communicate what they want it to? All of that. So we do that role play. Usually after that, we do some more research and then think some more. And then eventually you end up with the step I call historical manipulation. Because as I said, basically historical accuracy is impossible it's basically impossible we're never actually achieve it because we're not living then right so we're we have our own perspective and we have our own bodies and we have the fabrics you can find at the fabric store we're stuck with what we have in you know 2023 so we're never going to achieve actual historical accuracy so anything we do to present history is gonna be manipulated in some way. It might be as small as, I see this photo, it's from 1901 in black and white, I want it in blue. Great. But it might be, I want the collar bigger and the sleeves wider and the skirt shorter and let's add a ruffle and let's put on a peacock train. Whatever we do to manipulate the history, because again, the presentation of history is important. But, so we want to suggest history. It depends how closely to reality we want that history to be presented, but that's that manipulation, that last step. And usually that last step results in some kind of visual representation, a sketch or a collage, some designers design by hand, some sketch on the computer, but something visual that they can show to the other theater makers to move the conversation. A lot. It is. Well, I hope that people take that into consideration when they go to a production. I hope yes. so too. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. It's very creative, but there are a lot of parameters and constraints around it. So it is. It's creativity mm-hmm. in a context. And your research also proposed the model for the creative process for um, mm-hmm. incorporating history into theatrical costume design. And so what are your thoughts on that model? And especially also now that you're a bit of a distance yeah. away from dissertation. Uh, should I share my screen? Do you want to see it or we just talk about it? Oh, well, sure. You can share your screen. Right, I have it up just in case you wanted to see it. Mm. No. There we go. So this is the model, and I am very proud of it, actually. I really am. I think that it is clear, and I think it it offers a service. So as you can see, it starts with the production factors that are out of nowhere, right? They're just, they just appear, and then it leads to incubation and research and role playing and historical manipulation. But you can see how all the arrows go back and forth and back and forth. That's the design process. And you can see the thing around it, which is the designer's inclination, because The bottom line is, even if all the production factors support historical accuracy, if the designer is like, then they're not going to aim for it. Every designer, no designer said historical accuracy is worthless, but none of them said it is the most important thing. In that continuum, they all fell. Some thought it was more important than others. So however the designer feels is how it's going to end up influencing the final process. The thing that I'm proud of with this model is that I actually have used it in a class. So I teach a fashion history class and their final project is a costume design of a show. I give them the text and they're not custom designers. They're fashion merchandisers. So they don't have this background, but I gave them this model. And I actually asked them about it afterwards. And they said it was really helpful to see not only the steps, but also those arrows that show them that it's okay not to be sure of your first idea, right? So a couple of the students, they commented on how they were worried that they had to come up with something right off the bat. But when they realized that no, they can go back and start over. Or that it made them really, it made them relieved and made it, the process go easier with less stress. So I'm really proud of it. I think it was a, a valuable tool in that context. And hopefully other people see it and use it too. Oh, that's wonderful that you're using it in the classroom too. I love it. I love it. Uh, your research also produced a grounded theory. And you touched on this a little bit in your last comments about the correlation between a designer's inclination towards historical accuracy and the production factors and uh, how those two error rates. So the basic gist is that the higher the designer inclination is and the more favorable the production factors are, the closer the costumes will be to artifact on the historical accuracy continuum. And then the corollary is that the lower the designer inclination is, regardless of production factors, the closer the customers will be situated to invention on the continuum. So basically what that means is there is a continuum and on one end is artifact and on one end is invention. With the understanding that neither of those two things are actually possible, that you can't get 100% Artifact, and you can't get hundred percent invention. Even if you use an actual artifact, if you go to a, a museum, is deaccessioning something, and you want to use it on stage, you're putting it on a twenty first century body, so we just aren't going to get that the same look. On the other end, though, you have invention, which is also not really possible because you have incredibly creative people. I'm thinking fashion designers right now, but Iris Van Herpen, right? Like amazing. No. Still, it's a human with a head and two arms and legs. And there's only so much you can do. And mm-hmm. people have been doing those things, right? Izumiyaki and you have people. So it, it's, it's impossible to invent something entirely from nothing. Just like it's impossible to have an artifact on stage. It just won't work. But that continuum is basically where every costume design has ever fallen. So every historical costume design is somewhere towards artifact or somewhere towards invention. And there's no judgment intended on either of those two terms because whatever they chose was right for that production. Would it be right for the next production? Who knows? But in that moment, it was the right choice for that. That makes sense. That makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, as a part of completing a dissertation is to think about theory. And you have some pretty heavy duty theories that you fall in your dissertation. Uh, would you want to talk about those? I use the theories I understood the most. <laughs> so I talked about symbolic interactionism already with the role playing. That was. Really interesting to me because I did not see that coming. So to see that role play fell into theory was really interesting for me. I also talked about dramaturgy, which is something that Irving Goffman developed. Dramaturgy is a real thing, a real theatrical thing. So he actually took it and made a metaphor out of it. Dramaturgy in theater is when you have a person, a dramaturge, who does like a huge amount of research. And I've talked about research, but it's on a different level. And their job is to basically understand the entire social and cultural context, the environment of the production. And then they'll do presentations and talk to you about what else was happening in the world at the time and why things are the way they are and that kind of thing. So they have all this information they're presenting. Gosman took the idea of that and made it a metaphor and more personal. And his argument was that we all have this vast database of information, but we choose what to present based on the opinions we want to solicit. He called that impression management. So we decide what information we want to share so that we can influence the opinions of our audience. So taking his metaphor, and applying it back to the original context it came from was really interesting. But it works. It's just a little different because in this context, Goffman's world and in IRL, in the real world, it there are two people, right? There's the communicator and the audience. But on stage, there are like three or even four parties, if you want to think about it that way. You have the character who isn't real and then the actor And then they are the community together. They meld to make the communicator. And then you have the audience, but then you have a third party, the costume designer, who's doing the impression management. Goffman's argument was that we do that subconsciously. Costume designers do it very consciously, right? Every choice is meant to communicate a certain of what is the most important information to communicate to the audience. So we definitely participate in impression management just for other people and of course ourselves too if you want to talk about it. Yeah. the metaphor um and then the third one i talked about was semiotics which is the study of sign systems which appearance is one of us we as costume designers are keenly aware of all sorts of communicative properties of color of texture of shape of apparel, of hair, of skin, of accessories, everything. And so we use those things to communicate. And sometimes it's like super obvious, like you have a shirt that says hero, right? From salt. Or the, the infamous white hat, black hat for the villain and the, the hero in old westerns. But it gets, it can also be super, super subtle. There was some debate among the, character, the, the, the costume designers about how much of that communication is actually understood by the audience. But they decided, and also, if models of communication support, then it actually doesn't matter. Communication doesn't require 100% understanding from the audience. It just has a message has been communicated. And if they... Get any of it that we've done our job? Are they going to get all of it? Unlikely, but hopefully they get all of it. Oh, fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, Yeah, as you think about this, how can young or beginning or aspiring costume designers use your research and what you learned? to help them in their careers. Hopefully, two ways. One, hopefully anyone reading this who is a designer can forgive themselves for not being able to hit historical accuracy. I know that there were, there have been moments where I have, you know, been down on myself because I got that wrong or I got that wrong. Instead of trying to get it right, maybe I should have just gone in a different direction from the first place, right? So hopefully this can be something that that new designers can take and then release themselves from the the necessity of even attempted historical accuracy. Right. But also that model I think would be really helpful for people who have no idea where to start when you are given a fellow. What do you do now? And so hopefully this would help that they could start with those that model and use that information and figure out where they're going and hopefully it'll make the process smoother. And less stressful. And less, I don't know what I'm doing. So that is, that's my oh. Oh, I think it'll be very helpful. And also I think for educators as they are teaching and if they're teaching in a theater program, your research is helpful for them too. I would hope so. Yeah. So I just a little bit of it. What are some innovations or trends that you see happening in costume designer theater? There are a lot. A lot of them are not in this area specifically, uh-huh. but there's a bunch that's happening. One of the things I'm noticing is a real emphasis. This is not going to be a surprise on sustainability mm-hmm. in costumes. We've always been theater tries to be sustainable mm-hmm. because we never have any money. So right. you wanna, what happens is you design a show, you get this a collection of costumes and then you keep those. And the next time you design a show, you go through them and you can pull what you have so that you don't have to buy the same things over again. So we do that. It's a little, and so you have these props storehouses and the set warehouses and costume warehouses for that. But still, there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of scrap. We're buying new things. There's a lot of packaging. There's just a lot of stuff that goes in the garbage. And I know that people are really, they're trying to fix that. I, they're, I in the theater journals that I get people, there are constant articles about we tried to do an entire theater season without buying anything new. How did that go? Like that kind of, it's hard. It's really hard, but that is a trend I'm noticing. I'm also noticing a trend when you have a prop house or you have costume storage, it's really easy to lose things. And so people are really focusing on like RFID tracking or QR codes or things to make Databases more navigable. And that would solve some of the waste problems because I've monthly done shows where I needed like a pink dress. And then a month later, I find it buried in a, but in the meantime, I already bought one. So that's a trend I see. I also see, again, this isn't about historical accuracy at all, but sensitivity to gender. Expression is something oh. that's happening in costumes. Sure. Clothes are still mostly men or women, but people aren't necessarily. So there's a, a big push on how to sensitively, the way we take measurements is you have one person take the measurements, call out the measurement, and then someone else writes it down. Yeah, like it's not super sensitive, but also we have men's and women's measurement sheets. We have men's mm. and women's dressing room. How do we handle that? I'm seeing a lot of conversation about that. It's not always easy to solve. You only have so much space, but people are are really trying to address it and figure out how to move forward with that. So that is, I think, something else that I'm seeing. Something I'm seeing that does affect historical accuracy is 3D printing. So there has, yeah, people have started using 3D printing for Things like accessories and it comes out in plastic, so it's clearly not accurate, but you can paint it to look accurate, right? So course, we're with yeah. a lot of on stage. Because we are we only need one, right? So it's the perfect use for 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Really been exploring what you can do with 3D printing on stage. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Huh. How can our listeners access your dissertation or learn more about? Your work? The dissertation, it's 200 pages, so I don't know who's going to read But there are two articles that were published based on it. Those are in the Clothing and Textiles Research Journal, and one is in Dress. Both journals that are available in most university libraries. I also have a website, so if they want to contact me, they can find me there. And I'm sure if you Google me, I pop up because I do a lot of presenting at conferences. So it comes up a lot. Oh. Also thinking about your dissertation, what, because the names of the designers that you, uh, interviewed, I think there were 16 of them. Oh, correct. So, yeah. And they're all agreed to have their names made public and. Were there meaning that you were just like, oh, I can't believe I have the opportunity to interview this person? Yeah, it was really interesting. So I talked to 16 of them, like you said, and they ranged in age from 30s to 80s. And they had designed between one and 80 shows on Broadway. And at this point, the person who designed 80 has designed more. So it was really interesting, that breadth of experience that I talked to. And some of it, like I talked to a couple of people who I knew and they were friends of mine. So that was fun. But a lot of them I did not know or I had met one. Almost all of them, we knew people in common. So that was helpful. But I got to talk to Anne Roth, who is an extremely famous cast designer of film and theater. She is very fun to talk to. Everyone I interviewed in New York except she i drove out to her farm in pennsylvania that was really interesting she talked a lot about when she designed happening i think it was called no the village she talked about the village that m night malayan i can't remember. A movie. she talked about cold mountain she talked about all sorts of like amazing things and i was like i saw that i saw that i saw that that was really cool um Greg Barnes is amazing. He just is, he's just a wonderful designer. All glitz and showgirls and does just amazing things. So that has, that was really fun to talk to him. So I got my master's from New York University and I talked to the chair of that department, who's a costume designer, Susan Hilferty. And that was super interesting because as she was talking, And years had gone by. It was like a decade in between getting my master's and speaking to her about this. And I was like, oh, that's where I got that idea. Like she was talking, and I was like, oh, I had internalized so much of what she was saying that it was really interesting to reflect back and be like, oh, oh, now it makes sense. I love it. It was really interesting. It really opened my eyes to my own design perspective, my Mm -hmm. own career path like it just put a whole new perspective on all of it a whole a a new window it through which to view my own life it was really interesting and you're still designing for shows aren't you i haven't since covid oh um yeah i was designing in rhode island but since covid i backed off i do advise the johnson and wales theater group which is a student, yeah. so I'm their faculty advisor. They try so hard; they are great. They love it because we don't have a theater program; it's entirely no. extracurricular. So I oh, really man. love advising them. That has been a oh. great addition to my job and my life here. So I, that is that's mostly where I get my theater these days. They are so lucky to have you. <laughs> oh, I have one last question that I ask every guest, and that is, how do you define innovation? So that's interesting because of course, like off the top of my head, I'm like, obviously it's doing something new, but it's deeper than that because new is a big word. Um, and as I just said, like invention is impossible, right? So how new can you guess? I think that it is it's about creative thinking and critical thinking to improve something to and whatever that something is so now i'm thinking about like innovation in tech and like how uber and lyft yeah. innovated and i would guess that Regular taxi cab drivers wouldn't think it's been improved, but it's doing something that hasn't been done before. Like your dissertation. If I do say so myself, there's innovate, you know, it's not a COVID vaccine, right? Like if there's their of innovation. <laughs> but if I do say so myself, no one else was doing that. There are now since. Then there have been, I think, more costume people going into doctoral programs and therefore bringing their interest in enriching costumes. I've seen more of that. I see it sometimes in that my work has been cited uh, for articles, Just wonderful. But yeah, it was just me. I didn't, there was nobody really was doing that when I started. So much so that when I was, trying to find a doctoral program. Many said, no, many said you would not find a place here. You have a, I have a master's of fine arts. And so they were like, we are not the place for you. Your background is not a-. Iowa state was incredibly welcoming. So was university of Minnesota give credit where it's due, but the two schools were like, yeah, you can find a home here. That sounds great. We would love that background. And I think that is becoming more calm, or at least I hope it is, because like I said, it was a hole in the oh. body of knowledge, a hole in the discipline. There's so many sides to appearance studies, nor that side of it was, I, I thought it was wrong. I agree with you. And I'm so glad that you found us and completed your study because it, it has Made a major contribution to our knowledge. You've reminded me, this talk has actually reminded me of... Because I I did take a turn and I started doing a lot of pedagogy research. Which I think is important too, but talking about this again has really reminded me how much I want to keep researching costumes. I gotta get back into it. Um, Oh, good. Oh, good. Well... I would say, keep innovating in that area. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, it's just been wonderful to catch up with you on this. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to Sarah for joining us today on Innovation Insights, her research and passion is inspiring. Those of you intrigued with costume design and live theatrical productions should have gained much insight from today's discussion. For our listeners, I hope this conversation has sparked new ideas, new perspectives, perhaps even ignited a flame of curiosity to explore and innovate within your own spheres of influence. Remember, innovation is not just about technology or groundbreaking discoveries. It's about the way we think, the way we connect, and the way we bring our unique talents and insights to create positive change. I am Dr. Yolanda Sanders, signing off. Until our next episode, keep innovating, keep dreaming, and keep making a difference.